The joys of having three services is we have three d- different kind of services. They're all a little different. They have a lot of the same things. But, and you'd be surprised at how many times, even after these years, that I find myself going, what's the next thing we're supposed to do? And uh, so you caught me because I betrayed myself in a moment there. A um, little more lighthearted here to, to start. One of the, um, one of the things that's been going on this week many of you've seen because it was in the paper or or there were some stories um, on some of the local news stations um, about the kind of renewed um, emphasis to to get a light out here and so I had um, reporters out here all week and had an opportunity to speak with reporters on on a few occasions and uh, which again I'm thankful because it's spotlights a need but but I will confess to you and I've had, this happened periodically over the course of my ministry where something will come up and, and I'll be interviewed by a reporter. And, and I don't like talking to reporters. Not because I have anything against reporters, but I'm always nervous about it because I never know exactly what part of what I say is going to end up in a story and how it's going to come across. You really do kind of lose control of the narrative and so I'm always a little self-conscious. I'm always a little bit nervous about that. And so when the, the paper came out on, what was it, Thursday, if you saw it, that had my picture on the, on the front page, I went, okay, let's see how this looks. And I read the article, and for the most part, it was good. It was, I was pleased with it. But then there was the one part. I went, oh, you've got to be kidding. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? That's right, that's right. That I told my two sons not to drive through the intersection. I went, oh, they. Um, so, so I, I fortunately Cassie was away this week at camp, so she didn't see that. I thought, oh, I'm gonna have to answer for that. And then Tony wanted to know who the other kid was, and I said, well, <laughs> we, won't, we won't talk about that. So, so there was that, and, and lighthearted, and in all seriousness. But then there was a second part that probably not too many of you saw. Because the, uh, one of the, the reporters, the, the news reporters, that, or the camera reporters that came out this week was uh, Isabel um, Mascarenas. I'm probably not saying that name very well, but she was wonderful. And um, so they did the story, and she put it on her Facebook page. And so people were making comments. She wanted people to kind of give feedback about, about this need. And so people were responding and putting comments, and she was responding individually to everybody. And one of the persons, I don't know, in the community that said, um, you know, this intersection scares me. She's like, I don't even drive through it. I drive around it. And this is what Isabel responded. She's like, the pastor of the church said the same thing. He said he forbids his kids and his wife from driving through the intersection. (laughs) I went, oh, no. Now I don't know how many kids I have, and I'm a sexist. So I was like... I, I, I immediately got Tony's attention, and I said, just for the record, I never said I forbid you. Um, in fact, if Isabel, if Isabel knew how our family worked, she would know that I am forbidden from driving through that intersection. Um, and, and so they were lighthearted, and they were, we had some, some laughs about that. But, but it started me thinking on this path of thinking about things that happened. Now, these are lighthearted things. But just make you go, oh, it's just going to be one of those days. You ever have those moments when you just know? You ever have those moments like in the first 20 minutes of your day, you just know it's going to be one of those days? Kind of moments that make you just want to go back to bed and pull the covers over your head. Um, And I started thinking about some of those kind of things that happen periodically in my life that kind of make me go, "Uh uh-oh, it's going to be one of those kind of days. Um, Forgetting to set the alarm. That's one. Oversleeping. 
because I hate being rushed and I hate feeling kind of having to, um, to kind of feel like I'm already behind to start the day. So that's one that, that for me goes up. Oh, this is a kind of a bad omen as to what's to come. Uh, another one for me is when I get up and it becomes very clear to me quickly that um, Tony's been up before me and Cassie's been up before me and Ryan's been up before me because I will know instantaneously that Tony's taking a shower and Ryan's taking a shower and Cassie's taking a shower because there's no hot water when I get in the shower. That is not a fun way to start a day. Um, so that was one for me. Coffee. I'm a morning coffee drinker. It's the only cup of coffee I drink in the course of a day usually. But I need it in the morning. And when you go to the coffee maker and you've forgotten to restock the coffee, that's a bad day. And so I started having this, and through the course of the morning, we've had these kind of conversations. What are some of these? One person came up to me and said, and some of you may know this, I've had this experience. She said, when I get to work and look down and realize I've put on two different pairs of shoes. Some of you, some of you had that. One person said, she's like, I'm a twin. And she's like, the worst thing is when my twin sister forgets my birthday. And, uh, and um, uh, Kathy Mickeljohn came up to me and she said, yesterday I got up in the morning and my air conditioner had stopped working. And I thought, yeah, that's a bad day. It's back for just in case you're worried. So it's back. What's that? Car won't start. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the... There's all these kind of things that happen that, that make me, maybe you, that'll happen to make it, this is a good day to retreat. This is a good day to go back into the bedroom, pull the cover over the head and just ignore the world for a day. And, um, and we all have those kind of moments. But I started to think about what happens when those moments aren't as lighthearted. What happens when those moments are prolonged? They're not moments, but they're periods of time. The challenges are bigger. The obstacles are bigger. The difficulties are bigger, more frightening. And the demand upon us is, is harder. And what is expected of us um, to meet those challenges uh, takes more of us. How do we begin to step into those moments and face those challenges? And so I turned to one of the most familiar stories in all the Bible. If you haven't looked ahead and you haven't um, looked at the 17th chapter of Samuel, you will know the story because it's the story of David and Goliath. Now what I found interesting, I have a a database that I keep of my sermons. I keep them cataloged, and I keep them cataloged in a few different categories, and one of them is Scripture, so I can instantly go and see what I may have preached or said about this text in the past. You realize, or you wouldn't realize, I realized and surprised me that in over 20 years of ministry, I've never preached on the story of David and Goliath. I, I was surprised. Now, I've talked about David and Goliath. I've used it. And in fact, I did a few weeks ago, but I've never focused on it. So we're going to spend a few moments together here today uh, focusing on this story and what, it's, what we learn from David's example about those moments when God gives us an opportunity to, um, to step into the challenges of our lives. And how do, we, how do we face those when we may want to just retreat? And so now... The story of David and Goliath is the entire chapter of um, the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel, 58 verses. 
not going to read 58 verses here for you. But we are gonna, we're going to look at a couple of the um, sections of that, and we'll talk about it in a little bigger scale here. We're going to pick up at verse 4. This is our introduction to, to Goliath. This is when he steps into the, to the, to the scene, if you will. It says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. Now, moving to verse 32. We're going to jump ahead in the story. This is where David comes on the scene. Or David's kind of been on the scene, but this is where David really steps into the action. So verse 32, David said to Saul, he's now talking to the king, he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, speak to us in the familiar today, in a story we know, in a story we've heard. Speak to us a new truth. Give us ears to hear and be shaped by what this teaches us about who we are and who we can be through you. Bless these moments, this reading, and our understanding. We pray in Christ. Amen. Now, I have learned over the years to never assume, or I should say to try not to assume, anytime I read scripture or reference a story that people know the story. This is one of the few exceptions to that, because David and Goliath um, is, is certainly a story of faith, it's a, scripture, it's a story from our scriptures, but it has cultural um, significance as well. It's referenced beyond uh, religious communities. In fact, uh, you hear I most often hear it in um, the arena of sports, watching football or baseball or basketball when when the under when the the overmatched team is is playing the heavy favorite, and they say this is a a David and, and Goliath kind of story, and the implication being that you have somebody who is completely or a team that is completely overmatched here, and it's going to take a small miracle for them to win, which is always encouraging if you're the team. If you're a fan of the underdog, because when you talk about David and Goliath, the underdog, the, the young man, the overmatched opponent, it seems, wins. 
That's how this story ends. So, so it can be actually a reference of incredible, of incredible hope. But it is, it is helpful for us to understand what's going on that sets up this encounter and this opportunity for David, this, this moment that really changes the trajectory of his life and, and the direction that his life would take to become this, this incredible warrior and king and leader of his people. And so we start with a little geography lesson, very, very brief. If you're at all familiar with the, the, the country of, of Israel, at this time, this is 3,000 years ago, uh, the nation of Israel existed, but they coexisted with other nation states that surrounded them. And so Israel was really found, and, and their, their kind of capital and their center of existence was in what's more mountainous part of Israel. Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Hebron, those are mountainous areas of the country. The Philistines were a coastal people. So if you are familiar with where Tel Aviv is now, you can kind of think that's where they would have existed. And, and the, so they lived there on the coast. And so what happens is the Philistines, as well from time to time, uh, decide to get aggressive toward the, the Israelites. And they start to move west toward the mountainous regions where the Israelites existed. And what they want to do is they want to get into those mountains and they want to cut the people off. They want to kind of separate and divide, divide and conquer. So they're moving west. Saul realizes this. He gathers his armies. They start to move east to cut the Philistines off. And in these, this east-west direction between the coastal lands and the mountains are a series of valleys, uh, hills and valleys. And so the Israelite army and the Philistine army, they meet at the point of one of these valleys, the Valley of Elah. And the Israelites camp on one of the hills, one of the peaks. And the Philistines camp on the other peak. And they reach a stalemate. Neither has anywhere to go at this point. And here's the problem. And those of you know, especially with military background, you know, here's the problem. As soon as one of those armies comes off the peak, the high ground, they come into the valley. And that's no man's land. You don't want to be on the low land. You don't want to be underneath the opponent. So neither of them can go anywhere. Or they have to take a great risk to do so to engage the battle. So what happens is they, they revert to another practice which is called single combat. And armies would do this from time to time in ancient cultures. Rather than the widespread bloodshed of, of armies fighting... One army would send a champion, and another army would send a champion. Those champions would meet, and the winner of the single combat would have dominion over the other, would be declared the victor, and the others would, would, um, uh, would kind of surrender or retreat. So the Philistines send their champion, Goliath, the giant. Now, we don't know exactly how big Goliath was. Different scholars say anywhere from seven to nine feet which nine feet sounds ridiculous, but there have been situations where we've known humans that have lived in, you know, that have, um, uh, you know, some pituitary gland issues that get enormously large. So he was massive. That's what you need to know. He was massive, and they send him out every day. And what he does is he steps out onto the battlefield, and he basically taunts the Israelites. He says, send somebody out to meet me. Send somebody. He taunts their God. He taunts their allegiance. He taunts their courage. He basically tries to bait somebody into the fight, and they're not having it because he's so big. 
He dwarfs them. That's the issue. And I, I started to think about that, contextualize that. As a kid in the 80s, I was never supposed to watch wrestling. That was one of the things I wasn't supposed to Wrestling and MTV, those were two things I wasn't supposed to watch as a kid. So when I would come home and my parents weren't around, I would watch wrestling and MTV. Um, I mean, I did what my parents told me to do every time they told me to do it. Um, my daughter down there, I'm just... Um, so, so I was thinking about that, but you remember uh, Andre the Giant? I, I think about Andre, and some of you, the Princess Bride, you remember Andre the Giant? Okay, uh, you know, somebody who was just significantly bigger than everybody else around him. And, uh, and so, so they would see this giant enter into the battlefield, and they saw themselves as being dwarfed by him. And I, and I got another picture. I, I, I was a good picture I came across that I thought summed up the Philistine giant versus the Israelites and how they felt and the contrast between probably how they felt they stacked up next to this giant. You want to throw that picture up? See that picture right there? Can you see that? That's Shaquille O'Neal standing next to Kevin Hart. Okay? That's a, I figure when, when the Israelites, they felt like they were Kevin Hart being chided into a battle with, with Shaquille O'Neal. That kind of size difference. And if I said to you, these two were going to wrestle or going to fight, pick the winner. Anybody picking Kevin Hart in this one? No. And so that was kind of this, this in, a, in a real serious way. So, so here's what's happened, and he's coming out to issue the challenge every day. And it's, it's not being met. And that's where David enters the scene. Now David is the youngest son of Jesse. He's the runt of the family. He's the little guy. He's not probably even old enough to fight. So Jesse sends him, because the three oldest boys are in the army, he sends them with supplies, foods and cakes and things to, to kind of boost morale. And David comes, and he comes on the scene, and he hears this, and he hears Goliath issuing his taunts. And he basically says, hey, why won't somebody step up? And his brothers look at him, and they say, hey, why don't you shut up? <laughs> That's basically what they tell him. Pipe down. They get angry with him. And that's when David does something remarkable. He does two somethings that are remarkable. He doesn't just look for others to do it. David steps out, and David steps up. In the face of a giant, he steps out, and he steps out. Let me tell you how I picture that. Every day... Goliath comes out. And I imagine that as Goliath steps into the valley, I can just see the Israel army, the soldiers, the men, shrinking back. And I see them shrinking back for two reasons. One, nobody wanted to stand out. Nobody wanted to be seen because he's looking for a volunteer to fight him. And nobody wants to be that person. So they don't want to be seen. You know how I see this sometimes in ministry? It'll be when we'll be together with maybe a Bible study group or a, a leadership team or some point, And uh, I'll look at the team and I'll go, who wants to pray for us tonight? And this is what I see. Okay? All, all the heads in. Don't look at me. Don't see me. And, and, and here's the funny thing. Here's the confessional part of this. When I go to preachers' meetings with our district superintendent and I'm with other preachers and the DS will look at all of us and go, okay, who wants to lead us in prayer? This is what I do. Oh, don't look at me. <laughs> I don't want to pray. So teachers, you get this. You know this in the classroom. You know, you're looking for the volunteer. All the heads go down because you don't want to be seen. You don't want to stand up. If you make eye contact, he or she might pick you. 
So they don't, they don't want to be seen because nobody wants to be. Not that Goliath could pick somebody. They don't want to be seen. And so they shrink back, and they shrink back into the mass of people. And here's why. Because there's safety in the crowd. There is safety in the crowd and in, in a mass of people. It's amazing how sometimes we can feel hidden in a crowd of people. I know you guys are not going to believe this. It's going to be shocking to you. But um, I am not a dancer. Who knew? Um, I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't like to dance. It's that I know I can't dance. I don't have rhythm. Uh, and so, I mean, I'll slow dance with Tony, but if we're at a wedding or we're at some, you know, when we were on vacation and people are out dancing, very, very rarely am I going to be out there dancing. There have been a few times over the years that I have, though. There have been a few times, you know, that we'd be somewhere and we'd go dancing. But there's one requirement if I'm going to be on the floor dancing, and this is it. It has to be crowded. There has to be a lot. If there's four people out there, I am not going to be the fifth. But if there's a lot of people, there's a mass of humanity, I might do it because I feel safe in the crowd. Nobody's really going to see me. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't play on my own insecurities. I'm being a little confessional. You can kind of sit me on the couch later and diagnose me if you want. But, but that's, that's the thing because there's safety in the crowd. Well, I think that's, that's what's happening. The, the army, the soldiers, they're kind of hiding into the crowd. And it is into this that David does something significant. While everybody's backing into the crowd, David steps out. David steps out. He steps into the place of vulnerability. He steps out into the place of saying, I will be your champion. I will not be content to hide in the masses. I will step into the unsafe place and be seen. And he moves out in faith. So David steps out, and then he does the second thing. He steps up. And that is, he steps into the valley. He steps into the place of danger, of conflict, of uncertainty, of risk, and he faces the giant. And here's why that matters to me. Because I know in my life, I face giants. I know in your life you face giants. I'm not talking about physical conflict. I'm talking about the obstacles, the difficulties, the challenges, the burdens, the opportunities God gives us. And our giants can be any number of things. They can be the things that steal our joy. You want to know what your giant is? Ask yourself, what steals your joy? That's a giant in your life. The giants can be the, the challenges we have in life. It can be relational. It can be, it can be health-related. It can be professional. It can be any and all of those things. And at times, it will be any of all of those things because our giants change season to season. They're not always the same. But we face giants. We face those things in life. I face those things in life. And if I'm honest, sometimes I just want to step back. I want to pull the covers over my head. And I pray they go away. But I know God calls me and He calls you and I want to be like David. When everybody is shrinking back, I want to have the courage and the faith and the conviction to step out and to step up. And so I look at David's story as he steps out and he steps up. The shepherd boy, the one who was discounted, who wasn't seen, yet is even yet will, uh, worthy to be the soldier who becomes the champion. I thought, what's the character of his life that that allowed him to do that? How did he do it? And how do I learn from him? And here are the two 
principles I take from David's life and from this story in 1 Samuel 17. And the first is this. David trusted in the presence of God. He knew who was at work within him. He knew he didn't step out on his own strength, but in the power of a God who was at work in his life. And I will tell you, the most significant thing that happened, or the, 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 the most um, significant event that led to first, the events of 1 Samuel 17 was what we read in 1 Samuel 16. If you go back one chapter in David's life, you come to the story of David being chosen to be the next king of Israel. Samuel, who goes to the, to the household of Jesse. Jesse, who had eight sons. And God said, from his sons, you'll pick the next king. And so Samuel goes to Jesse and says, bring me your sons. Somebody's going to be the king. And so what does Jesse do? He brings out the oldest and says, this is him. And God says, nope, it's not him. And so Jesse keeps rolling out his sons. And over and over, God says, no, no, no. The last kid he brings out is the run of the family. That's David. And Samuel looks at David, and God places it on his heart and says, this is him. This is him. And here's what we read in 1 Samuel 16, verses 13. Here's the key verse for 1 Samuel 17. This is what he says. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David knew who was at work in his life. David stepped out in courage because he trusted in the presence of God to be at work and to bless what he was doing. Not necessarily give him victory in the way he wanted, but to be with him and to, re- to bring purpose to it. And that's, that's the lesson that the, the heroes of faith learn. Moses and Deborah and Esther and, and David here and, and others, they learn to depend <coughs> excuse me, on that presence of God, that power of God at work in their lives. Well, here's why that's important. That's not a promise for a few people. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when Peter stands before the people and he proclaims the resurrection of Jesus, he says to them, repent and believe and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. God's Word tells us that that's not a promise for a few, but for all. We are given the presence of God. We need to be connected to that strength because it allows us to face the challenges we can't face on our own power. It plugs us in. I read a story this week about a missionary who was doing um, mission work. I believe it was in Central America at the time. And he was ministering to, to people groups and, and villages in this, this area of, of Central or um, South America. And to help him and facilitate his work, somebody donated a car so that he could drive. But the problem with the car is it couldn't start on its own. So he had to, some of you remember those days of popping the clutch and getting the thing going? He had to learn how to do that. So he had to develop strategies to get this car moving. So one of the things he would do is when he could, he would park next to the, the schools, the village schools, so that he could play a game every time he had to go somewhere. The game was bring the, the kids out and push the car. And so he'd get kids to help push his car to get started. Or if they weren't here, he'd have to park on a hill, on a downhill, so he could, he could you know, 
pop the brake and get the thing moving. So he was very impressed with himself because he found all these ways to, to make use of this car. After a couple years of, of mission work, his health was starting to fail. He needed to go home. So a, a young missionary was sent to take his place, and he would spend some time training him and getting him ready. And as he's doing all this training, he finally said, oh, let me show you the car. And he took him to the car, and he said, this is for you to use, but here's the thing. It, it can't start on its own, so here's the tricks. And the, and the young missionary is like, okay, that's, that's good. He's like, but do you mind if I look under the hood? He's like, yeah, go ahead. So he pops the hood, and he knew what he was looking for, and he started looking, and he's checking some things. And he went, oh, no, this is a simple fix. There's a loose cable. And he began to tighten and change and reseed some things, and he tightened a cable. And suddenly the car started with no problem. And that missionary was reflecting, and he said, I learned that day the problem was that it wasn't connected properly to the source of its power. And that became a powerful illustration for him, and I think for us, of the need to be connected to the source of our power, which is the Holy Spirit. David was connected to that. So he steps in faith because he know he depends on God's presence. He trusts in God's presence. And then here's the second thing. He relied on who he was. He relied on who he was. He knew who he was, what his gifts were, and how God had shaped him. And this is what that looks like. And I think this is remarkable for a young man to have recognized. He didn't try to be who he wasn't. When David steps forward to face the giant, I didn't read these verses, but if you know the story, you know that King Saul tries to dress him in his armor. He gives David the shield. He gives David the army. He gives David the sword. And he gives David the equipment that he thinks he needs to go face Goliath on Goliath's terms, soldier to soldier. But David knew that's not who he was. David knew that's not how he was gifted. That wasn't the skills and the lessons life had taught him. In, in, in ancient warfare, and, and even today, there were three categories of soldiers. There was the cavalry, on horses or in chariots. There was the infantry. They, wore the, they had the, the swords and the shields and the armor. That's what Goliath was. But there was that third category, and it was the archers. And we tend to think of archers. I think of archers. I think bow and arrow. But in the time of David, there would have been another way archers would have um, been a part of the battle, and that was with a sling. Now, David wasn't a warrior. He was a shepherd, but he had learned the skills of a sling. Now, a slingshot. Now, as a kid growing up, how many of you had slingshots? You know, that's what you think, the, 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 v, the v, and you, you know, you let it go. But many of you may know what a slingshot looked like in ancient cultures. This was a slingshot. I got this in Israel years ago. And they would, anybody ever seen somebody use a slingshot like this? It is amazing to watch. And uh, they take it and they put the rock down here, and there's no rock in there. Don't worry about it. Um, I wanted to, to kind of show the speed they'll go, but I thought, that's a recipe for disaster. But, um, but so they grab it, you know, in, in whatever way they do, and you wind it up, and they learn exactly how to release and throw. And they could get these things spinning, Scottish Tufts, up to seven revolutions per second. And when they would let those things go, they had tremendous force and tremendous accuracy. David knew who he was. This was his weapon. He knew he couldn't fight a battle with somebody else's armor. And he says to Saul, I can't use that. I've never used that. He says to Saul, that's not who I am. 
David knew, and he referenced those experiences as a shepherd fighting off the lions and the bears. God doesn't waste experience. And when you step into your moments, when you face your giants, you carry with you the experience God has used to shape who you are. Be who you are. One of the mistakes we make is we try to be somebody else. And why I'm so impressed with David is he learned that at a young age. I'm still learning that. I'm still learning that lesson. When I came out of seminary as a, as a you know, in, in my late 20s, I wanted to be my father. That's who, that's who I wanted to be. I mean, he had shaped my entire life. And I knew I'd watch him preach and I'd watch him interact. I thought, man, he's so good. I want to be him. And so I spent my first few years trying to be him, which is, uh, you know, uh, it was, he was worthy for me. I mean, he was a, an example for me. And it's not saying I shouldn't have learned and been shaped. And of course, I was tremendously. But I mean, I wrote my sermons the way he did. I crafted my notes the way he did. I preached from the pulpit the way he did. And over the years, I started to learn something. I'm not him. I have a lot of him in me, but I'm not him. And the course of my life has been continuing to learn, be me. I mean, I'm still learning that. Be me. Part of your challenge when you face is be you. Bring your gifts and allow God to use your gifts and who you've been uniquely created to be to face your giants. David stepped out and he stepped up, but he did it trusting in God's presence and relying on who God had created him to be. And that's the same thing we need to do. You face your giants. You step out and step up, relying on God's presence. You are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and you are who you are, gifted and talented and called and able and God will use that. His presence, your uniqueness. That's how David was able to step up and step out. I pray for each of us that when those moments come, when we're tempted to shrink back, when I'm tempted to shrink back, we, with God's presence and power at work within us, can step out and step up. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the promise of your presence, for the assurance of your strength at work within us and for the ability to face our giants and to face those moments with courage and conviction because you are at work within us and you have uniquely gifted us for the challenges that we face in life. So be our strength, be our courage, be our hope. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.